Earlier this year, as part of our 2023 Winter Media Summit, the New York City Center for Media Education invited a panel to discuss the current and future state of independent film. The aim was to explore whether the changing media landscape and the seemingly endless supply of streaming content provided to audiences affects how indie filmmakers produce projects. It does feel like, yeah, you do need a hook, a twist, or even I challenge what I watch in terms of, have I seen that before? For this panel that we are revisiting in today's episode titled, The Present and Future of Low-Budget Filmmaking, CME was joined by writer and director, Victoria Negri, executive director of the Art of Brooklyn Film Festival, Joseph Shahadi, and actress and filmmaker, Jacques Soiree. The panelists spoke with CME manager of media education, Sean Mannion, about how their approach to making work has evolved and the obstacles to producing meaningful projects in 2023. I think a new technology comes out, people either get really excited about it or panic and are like, oh no, this is gonna take over everything. And I think it still goes down to the storytelling. Simultaneously, they shared their approaches to getting work made, the changing nature of film festivals, utilizing social media to propel their projects, and the new production challenges created by a COVID world. Please join us coming up in a moment. From the New York City Center for Media Education, this is CME Presents, where we explore how the digital stories and media that we watch, listen to, and experience are created. And this is the present and future of low-budget filmmaking panel from February 2023. This is our uh, Wednesday night panel on filmmaking. This is the the present and future of low-budget filmmaking panel. My name is Sean Mannion. I'm the manager of media education here at CME. And I'll be your moderator tonight. And we have three wonderful panelists uh to to talk about filmmaking the current state of filmmaking what's going on for the future uh to my left here uh first we've got jaca soiree and uh jaca is an actress and filmmaker known for her work in the hulu special black stories present your attention please directed by tribeca 2019 award winner philip humans uh jaca is also a filmmaker her first short film jazz in wakanda which she wrote directed produced and in which she starred was an official selection at film festivals like Urban World and sold to Comcast Tubi as part of the Black Power series. Uh, Jacques was selected by the Women's Weekend Film Challenge to direct one of six short films, leading an all-female identifying cast and crew and winning various awards. And you can read the rest of her bio up on the website. We'll just do uh, quickly with these um, so we can get to the conversation. We've got Next to her, we have Victoria Negri, is uh, an award-winning filmmaker and ultra-marathon runner. Uh, her feature debut, Gold Star, which she wrote, directed, produced, and acted in, features Oscar-nominated actor Robert Vaughn in his last on-screen performance. Gold Star received an 88% fresh rating on Rotten Tomatoes. Film School Rejects said about the film, the directorial debut of Victoria Negri reveals a confident eye. Uh, brief take named Gold Star one of 2017's best films by a female director alongside Greta Gerwig's Lady Bird. Victoria is a fellow of the 2021 IFP Gotham Episodic Labs. And again, it's more online. I also just want to say Gold Star premiered at the Art of Brooklyn Film Festival and I had a great experience there. And it, it won, I think, Best Narrative 
feature. Um, so uh, this uh, it could be a nice segue into, Se into it, show. It's, it's a great segue. That's a great segue. Thank you. Always, always appreciate help with the segues. Uh, to our uh, final panelist over here on the... Um, on the far, on my far left here, uh, is uh, Joseph Shahadi. Uh, he's a co-founder co and executive director of the Art of Brooklyn Film Festival, uh, and he's been doing that since 2011. Uh, he co-developed AOBFF's uh, streaming channel, Brooklyn On Demand, and their streaming festival, Indie Boom. Um, and he's uh, consulted on the first edition of Lit Film, a film festival that focuses on films that celebrate the literary side of filmmaking at the central branch of the public, Brooklyn Public Library. He was a judge for the 48-hour film festival uh, film project and guest lectured in the film department at St. Francis College in 2018. Joseph uh, was invited to contribute critical essays in art in odd places. Uh, as a 2017 thinker in residence, he was formerly the festival coordinator for the Dumbo Dance Festival, where he curated and produced DDF's first ever site-specific works staged along the Brooklyn waterfront and served on its board of directors. And so, again, with all of them, there's more on their websites. And let's, I'm, we don't have a physical audience here, in-person audience, but let's just assume everybody's clapping at home. I'm, I'm clapping in my heart. I, I, my hands are full. <laughs> So I can't do it. I can't do it right here. Um, so tonight, again, we are talking about uh, the current state of uh, low budget filmmaking, filmmaking in general, uh, and uh, what we're kind of looking towards, towards the future. Um, and I want to welcome you all again. Thank you for joining us tonight. Um, let's just dive in with our first topic, I think. Um, and our first topic for the night would be, how would you describe the landscape for low-budget filmmaking when you first started as a filmmaker, or in Joe's case, as a festival director? Um, what were the challenges you faced? What were the opportunities that you had at that time? So what was kind of the landscape for film as you, uh, as you sort of entered the field? Um, if anybody wants to jump in, or I can, I can call on people. I'm a teacher, so... <laughs> Um, I'll start. I, I, I started, when did I first start filmmaking? I came to it through acting. So I think for me, my perspective is a little bit different. I'd say I started producing, making films probably 2012 or behind the camera right after graduated college. So 2009, 10, 11, around there. Um, and I don't know, it just, it, it honestly kind of feels the same to me because it just always feels difficult, <laughs> low budget filmmaking. Um, I think the more that I do, though, the more the peek behind like the gatekeeper industry stuff I'm getting to learn more and more about. And I think uh, I didn't know that back then. So I think I'm just starting to see like the the still indie but bigger budget indie stuff and how that gets done um feels different based on my knowledge of what i knew as like a an outsider before like a decade ago and to me now it feels more like genre folk like if you want to get something made and have someone else give you money um pushing genre pushing things that no one has seen before um versus i think a decade ago when i was first starting to do it 
you could still do like a really good just straight up drama um and have that be an indie and have it be a splash at a festival but now you need some kind of like i i feel like from my experiences like a hook or something people haven't seen before or really like you need to know what your voice is um and have have that be really specific and unique and honed in um in a way that really stands out i think so uh just to so kind of what you're saying is when you were getting started a little over a decade ago kind of felt more like an open field yeah it felt more like if you're excited about telling a story you can go for it and if you make something really good it can premiere and have a shot at um building and now it feels like kind of a little more reverse manufacturing of all right you have to have an idea that is a little more um yeah i i get it can't just be like a it can just be like because my first feature is like a, it's a family drama and i did hear from people early on like oh if this was this we could sell it easier if this had this kind of a hook or something something different so i don't know i'm kind of torn about this question i don't know how much it's changed that drastically i think i think it's just because i'm learning more about how things are made versus like when i first started making things i was throwing my own money into it and i was um you know, doing Kickstarters and rallying my friends and family. And I can't keep making movies that way. So I think the more I learn about the industry, the more I want, I'm, I guess I'm wondering, like, has it always been this way? Or am I just learning what it always, what it has been for the past decade? That's kind of a confusing answer. <laughs> I mean, I think, I think in a way, like, even if the space hasn't changed necessarily, like your experience of it has, which uh, I think is 100%. very relevant. Yeah. A hundred percent. Yeah. And uh, Joe or Jacka, do you guys have any? Um, yeah. Um, there's so many answers possible to that question, but um, I would tend to agree to uh, with Victoria. It's true that it felt like it was more of an open field. Like you wouldn't get the answer of like dramas don't sell don't make one. Uh, but also for a specific type of people that had a type of education or resources or connections. So now that the cat is out the bag, we have movements that have pushed to open up. And so that also comes with it, right? Like the new ideas, the all the diversity and the women and the non-binary. And even though I mean, personally, from my, my experience is my work comes from who I am. I don't, it's not the other way around. I'm not looking to tick the box in order to create something. My work emanates from who I am. Uh, but it, it, it does feel like, yeah, you do need a hook, a twist, or even I challenge what I watch in terms of like, have I seen that before? Because there are so many stories that haven't been told. Um, I'm going to challenge you to try to you know insert something in your storyline that that can move me in a way that I haven't been moved before and then the landscape of distribution and that has obviously changed with all the platforms that we're seeing and it's really hard to navigate as a low budget filmmaker because you're you know you're like already struggling with 
how am I going to make my movie? You feel like you need a full production of a Kickstarter or raising money before you actually enter production for your film. And then where is that film going? So, yeah. Absolutely. And, and, and Joe, uh, I think you can bring some perspective as not necessarily from a production standpoint, but from you see a lot of films come from filmmakers of yeah. a lot of levels. Uh, I mean, I definitely agree that there are a lot of ways to answer this question. And, you know, um, from my perspective, running a, an international film festival for now 13 years, the films have gotten steadily better over the course of our life. But that may not may have less to do with the films themselves and more to do with the fact that we're an established entity now where, you know, in the first five years of a film festival's life, it's a little catch as catch can as everyone sort of waits to see if you're going to survive. And so, you know, we've survived our first five years and then began to really thrive in our second five years. And so at this point now, um, the quality of the films that we're getting are very high. So it certainly seems to me subjectively like films have gotten steadily better over the course of our life. But the truth is we got some excellent films even fairly early on. So I wouldn't want to say that as a definitive. What? Um, yeah, uh, you know, I mean, I think that you have to, yeah, I would have to sort of foreground that subjective experience. Um, not to disagree at all with what the filmmakers have said, but, you know, the truth is we have, we were talking before we started, you know, we've had a really good relationship with the industry. We've had something like 17 things that have premiered at the Art of Brooklyn Film Festival that have gone on to get distribution. And I'm not totally sure where we stand in terms of last year. I'm, I'm sort of still hearing it. That's why I seem uncertain when I say around 17. But um, some of them have been family dramas. You know what I mean? So the only kind of caveat that I would add maybe is that I think that that's definitely true in terms of the larger industry, right? that the family drama or the kitchen sink drama, that there's less of a market for that from a corporate filmmaking side. I don't know if that's entirely true about indies. And one thing that I hear indie filmmakers talk about a lot is talking about the industry, but sort of in a top-down way. And I don't think that there's ever been a greater disconnect because of the pandemic between what indie filmmakers are doing and I see the industry scrambling right now to try and figure out, throwing stuff against the wall, trying to figure out what will work. Um, I'm seeing a much surer hand from independent filmmakers in terms of following the stories that they want to tell and telling them in the most creative way. So, yeah. Um, I love that. Yeah. I mean, I, it's, it's really true. I think that independent filmmakers are sort of ideally poised for this moment that we find ourselves in, in a way that sort of big corporate institutional affiliated filmmakers aren't. They're having to really kind of backtrack and second guessing what worked. And um, I see less of that from the other direction. And that feels good to me, positive to me. I think that the, what you were talking about just now, uh, Joe is really interesting and I think very relevant uh, to this, well, obviously relevant to the conversation because it's part of this conversation, but about indie filmmakers pivoting with the, um, with the pandemic, um, I wonder, and, and I'd love to hear all of your thoughts on this, if 
the state of indie filmmaking as it has been in the past, as it is now, where it is difficult, it has been difficult, continues to be difficult to find funding, whether you're crowdfunding, whether you're trying to find more traditional routes of funding. Um, if would would you say or, or would you disagree with that the complications introduced by the pandemic uh for many independent filmmakers is just oh well this is just another thing i already have i've already dealt with i'm already dealing with a lot of complications this is just one more what uh any thoughts on that i think it's uh, a big one i i think like thinking of I'm producing a feature that's shooting in May and some tough decisions of like SAG versus non-SAG actors. And how can you, when you already have so little money, put more money aside to think about what if someone gets COVID and then the SAG rules for that are really intense. And we made the decision to go non-SAG because we literally can't afford, afford that. Um, so yeah, I think it's, it's not just another thing. I think it's a really big thing that's not going away. And it, you know, there are whole departments now that cost more money. Um, so yeah, for a time, I think like I've been trying to make my second feature. It was about to, we had the lead cast. It was about to like take off literally the two weeks before the world shut down. I was in LA. We locked the actress, came back. She was on board. And then like six months later, she dropped out because her schedule kept pushing. She's doing all these like big blockbuster films she wants to do. And then since then, I've been regrouping and we might knock on wood. It might finally come back together any day. Um, but yeah, it's hard, especially, you know, when you're trying to already do the puzzle of where do I put the money? COVID's just a really difficult thing to deal with. Yeah, I, I was in L.A. Um, premiering my second short on March 5th, 2020. I was looking at the date this morning and we, um, we went into lockdown on March 19th. So it, it killed it. I, I didn't have film festivals, no screenings, no film festival, no human interaction, no meeting with filmmakers, no meeting with executives, just, you know, no benefits besides making the film. And um because there were no virtual events set up yet. So that affected um, a lot of my life at this point, everybody's life, obviously. Um, but also I'm thinking about um, how it affects us now still and uh, everything that Victoria mentioned and the cost of it, the cost of the PPE and the mask and the... The, the officer on set that needs to be there and all those SAG rules and for um, low-budget filmmakers who are already scrambling with money, it's really hard. Um, and also another part of it that it's affected is all the mentoring program um, for, you know, women of color like myself that are trying to get into those mentoring program, those shadowing program, and the studios just literally shutting us down, shutting down those programs because of COVID, because it's a minimum set. And so that affected um, the tr people trying to go, you know, up the ladder a lot. Yeah, I just want to say, I don't mean to be glib about it at all. I um, absolutely hear what you're saying. And I've heard versions of that about the 
the obstacle of it. And I think also, you know, we have to acknowledge that the obstacle, the shape of it keeps shifting and changing. It's not like a solid thing that you have to figure out how to climb over or go around or tunnel through. It's, it's like a cloud, not a mountain. Um, I guess the point that I was making is that independent filmmakers who are used to struggling with money and answering questions thrown at them uh, through the process of filmmaking creatively are, I what I see from my position, better suited to this moment. That's really what I'm saying. Not that it's easy or that, you know, uh, it doesn't inevitably change the way that films get made or even an approach to narrative. I have heard stories from filmmakers about having to change scripts around COVID rules and, you know, it has forced everyone to kind of up their game and answer questions even more creatively. So I just find that really inspiring. That's that's really all that's all I'm saying. I'm, I understand yeah. it's a giant pain in the ass and more than just a pain in the ass, but like a, a life altering, process altering, uh, ongoing event. So I don't mean to make it seem like it's simple and resolved, but you know, it reminds me of um, during lockdown there was a joke going around um, about people with depression and anxiety, of which I am one. Um, I'm a depression and anxiety OG. And so um, they, it was like, oh no, what are, what are people who don't have depression and anxiety? How are they dealing with the isolation? We should reach out to them because they have no skills to, they have no skills to manage this. And so again, it's, you know, that's using a joke to oversimplify, but it reminds yeah. me of that. It's like, you know, independent filmmakers are sort of used to pushing them out, you know, pushing the boulder up the hill and trying to figure out creative ways around storytelling and that's what's necessary right now uh, the obstacle is the way it it made me make a short documentary like i would yeah. never think i was like i'm desperate to film something so september 2020 i i'm really into running and i was like oh there's this runner in brooklyn who's i just heard she ran 76 miles around mccarran track so i just um she was then doing a, a relay race over um two days with six people of running nonstop for two days. And I just followed her with two um, DPs the whole time and finishing up, finally finishing up that edit, making a documentary is really hard, but yeah, you're, you're, you're right. Like I would have never made, I was just, I was like, I have to film something and what's something I can film. That's all outdoors. That's safe. Let me just do it. And I'll, I guess I'm making a documentary now. I don't know. Um, well, I can tell you that the, you know, the, there were a million questions when COVID really clamped everything down in my world, um, producing a festival and producing live, um, you know, events that involved convening, bringing people together and how that was going to work. Um, so there were a million questions. And one of the questions that I had was, how are people going to continue to make films and are the films going to start to be bad? And now that it's 2023 and our submissions are open right now i can tell you people are making some excellent films under these conditions like it is not stopping people at all <laughs> you know um so i again i just find that super inspiring yeah so the the challenge really breeding innovation and while there's a lot of a lot of opportunities that are lost people tend to make sometimes make their own 
I think I think you originally stated your point pretty well, and then I, when I restated it for the question, I I maybe oversimplified. Uh, but I think we, um, I think I think all the points are are well taken as far as like it's a big shift, and uh, yeah, there's a lot of opportunities that change or delay or maybe disappear. But uh, as we said, the the advantage sometimes of being in the in that indie space is that you can you already have to adapt so life finds a way jurassic yeah. park there you go exactly exactly some some jeff goldblum um so one thing to to kind of uh shift gears a little bit because uh it's something that i find a little interesting uh uh as as somebody who's been in the indie filmmaking space, as an indie filmmaker myself, outside of my, my position here, um, is there's been a shift over the last, I want to say, about the last decade, um, in uh, and particularly the last couple of years in in social media, kind of changing from being social networking platforms. In fact, that's what we call them. We called the social network. Um, to something that's mostly dominated by marketing. Um, and I'm curious uh, for, for each of you from your, from your different perspectives, like have those platforms been valuable for you in growing, uh, in finding audiences, growing your career? Um, and are the changes to them that have been happening like, does that change the value for them for 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 you? Um, whoever would like to pick up that question. Um, I can. Um, I'm. It, I guess it depends on which uh, social media platforms you're on. I'm. I'm not on TikTok. I'm. Um, I can't. I can't do it. I can't. I have. I'm just too old for TikTok. I have respect for my <laughs> attention span. <laughs> <laughs> I do not. <laughs> I just, I just like longer form of contents. Um, I do, um, but I've enjoyed Instagram in its various forms. It, it's, it's, it changes all the time. It's true. It can get really overwhelming. Um, I had to have a, a consultation with one of my friends from Women in Film who has a social media marketing company. It, it, it has, there's some science to it and uh, I'm learning, I'm learning to be present and have it as a filmmaker. It's such an important tool as an actress, as a director, as a producer. Um, I feel that almost having a Instagram page for your film is more valuable now than a website. Uh, I would love to talk about that. Um, and, um, I think that there are several ways to look at it. Um, some obnoxious and others that are less, um, a rapport and connections with filmmakers that are, you know, struggling as well, going through the same thing, like your lateral connections, but also some people that are higher up the ladder, some celebrities sometimes that will support your work, that will give you a shout out, some film festivals that reach out to you for discount codes and waivers because that's super huge part of filmmaking as well you know sometimes the obstacle between you and the audience are film festival submission fees like the audience doesn't necessarily know that um so to have a platform for your work 
is has become, I think, paramount. Yeah, it's been invaluable for me. We, I mean, we can trace back how I know you is because I somehow I think through like one of those chats. I think it was the I think it was the seed and spark. It was seed Twitter and spark. Chats. I used to do yeah. those all the time, and like that's how I met you, Liam. Like, um, we can go way back to that. And yeah, I think I was I used to be really active on Twitter, um, and I think you have to be smart on social media about it. Like, you can't just show up out of nowhere and be like, "Hi, everyone! I made this movie. Watch it now!" Or "Hi, donate." Uh, money to my Kickstarter just because I'm saying it like you have to treat it's like a treat everyone like they're literally in front of you and they're human beings like you can't just bang on doors and hope people are gonna do anything for you it's so entitled like don't just think because everyone has a project everyone has something they want to get made and be smart about it and respectful and treat people with uh, you know a human element um, I had a really, it, it's funny to trace back to, uh, I can go all the way back to Twitter also for, I initially back in 2011 was tweeting with David Lowry, um, just about running and cats, not even about movies, just, and we were like following each other and talking. And then he left Twitter and went on to make huge movies. And then years later, I wrote a piece about, uh, his film, A Ghost Story, for the website, The Talk House. And he emailed me. He read the piece. And he's like, hey, I remember you from Twitter. How are you? And I was like, oh, my God. And then we just started emailing back and forth. He watched Gold Star when it came out. I then sent him my next script. And now he's executive producer. He brought all of the other producers. His entire team is producing my next movie. And that's because of, not because of Twitter, but Twitter's like, it was the initial just we treated like I treated him just like a normal. It's like we have a lot in common. Uh, let's chat about it and have fun. So I think, yeah, you just have to treat people like who do you click with? Find your people. And it can be through social media. I'm not as active on it anymore um, at all. Now I just kind of I'll pop into Twitter every now and then. My my account that I'd spent a lot of time building actually got hacked right during the pandemic, which was frustrating. Mm -hmm. But anyway, this is all to say, I think just get on there and find people that you connect with and see what happens and build relationships. Um, I think people put too much pressure on themselves to immediately make something happen and to just shout into the void and that doesn't work. Are you asking me how the festival uses it or how I see filmmakers using it successfully? Whichever you have thoughts on. Both are both I think are very relevant. Well, I mean, I can say that the common thread between how we use social media and the way that I see filmmakers, independent filmmakers, low budget filmmakers using social media successfully is that I think you need to surrender the idea that it's like an apples to apples thing. Like I put out this tweet, um, therefore something should happen. It's much more nonlinear than that, I think. That it's about Building, um, you know what, to say building community is too utopian a term for something like this. That it's about, and to say like raising awareness is too sort of marketing a term, but it's somewhere between those two things. And so that's what I think building an audience is, right? Um, when we're very active on social media, um, 
throughout the year, but particularly during festival time. And one of the things we love is when we work with a filmmaking team that has their social media game together because we promote the film and then they retweet it or reblog it or re whatever it. And it immediately, it boosts the algorithm. There's more engagement. I know not every festival does that. Um, um, not every, not every institution that uh, an independent filmmaker is going to interact with is going to do that, right? But we're pretty clear once we accept people in, this is how we do things. And so it's always good for us when someone or ideally more than one uh, film steps up and really gets involved proactively in promoting their screenings, promoting um, any press that, that we're able to sort of tilt their way. And, you know, again, from a festival perspective, print press, which was still a thing when we started the festival, went away, you know, and so we had gotten some pretty good print press. Um, and that's not a thing that <laughs> that you can even aspire to get anymore. I mean, sure, there are blogs and sites and things, but it's not as aspirational as it was before to get into Time Out or New York Times or something. Um, so any thing that you can do to kind of take control of that on social media feels to me just like a net positive. So I think what I'm hearing is like the uh, the real value of it kind of remains what it was um about again like a decade ago which is really like building a network connecting with really connecting with other people more so perhaps than the marketing side of it i mean to a degree there's that what you were talking about uh joe but even that it sounds like is the real value is like making those those individual connections and 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 pushing those um well, not even pushing those, just treating those like actual like human connections. <laughs> there's still there's there's people on the other side of those of those of those screenings. Any other thoughts about the use of that uh, responses to each other, or anything like that? Well, I I could add to your point that because if you treat you know the other side of the web like real human beings, it 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 almost informs your work. It informs your filmmaker's experience, but it informs your human experience. Um, you meet people that are right next door to you or at, um, you know, thousands of miles away and you might collaborate with them. And that's just the beauty of film festivals in person that disappeared uh, when we were under lockdown. But that social network out aspect is... Um, amazing really in my experience it's informed of the next steps that i'm taking or a direction sometimes on a project or another that is a bit lingering or where i need a little bit of a push uh is meeting another person that might be exci excited about it and that i might want to collaborate with um so that to me is invaluable uh and and just to, to just to open our fall on that uh i know victoria you mentioned uh David Lowry, but is there uh, an, any any examples maybe that you'd want to share, Jaka, or uh, you you Joseph, uh, similar to that, where you made uh, a social media connection that then became more collaborative afterwards? Well, we met um, the great, like iconic actress Annabella Sciorra that way. 
she heard what we were doing and said, I think you're awesome. And she ended up then sitting as a judge for us and um, has been terrifically supportive. And we then were able to meet other famouses through her. And <laughs> But it happened in a kind of an organic way. And um, we're forever grateful to her because we weren't anything when she noted us. So that happened sort of through social media. Yeah, she found you and just like, hey, that's she's great. amazing. By the way, she's everything you want her to be. She's amazing. Um, when I was shooting uh, the short film I did for the Women's Weekend Film Challenge, uh, we had all the the team of women had a different name for their team. Uh, our uh, team name was Reed Morano, and I was adamant about tagging her on every in every social media platform so that she got inundated with uh, us uh, roaming around LA and trying to just shoot and she saw the tweets and retweeted and added a little note saying you know I'm thinking of you team Reed and and I was like that's all I need that's all I need I'm I'm doing the perfect film <laughs> it was just it's it's lovely when it's like that. Sometimes you know it's it's it can be lonely, and um, sometimes that's all you need. Absolutely, building building those connections, building that network. I mean, and I can even say from my own personal experience, like uh, as you were saying, like we met through through Twitter initially, uh, Victoria, which led me to to Joe eventually, okay, and um, and also uh, honestly, the same sort of spaces where we met is ultimately what led me to this job uh and working here with uh with uh, m and n um meeting somebody on twitter 12 years ago <laughs> chain of connections it happens so the networking advantage is certainly there um one of the things that i'm uh curious about and this is i think uh some of this may be sort of a hot button topic uh right now uh but um, I'm, I'm curious about with uh, technology that's we're in an interesting space, I think, right now with technology around film. And there's a couple of different uh, things that are happening kind of concurrently. We've got um, on the uh, me personally excited uh, virtual production uh, and and the ex and the increased accessibility of virtual production. I'm not just talking about the um, the LED walls that are uh, that a lot of people are talking about, things like The Mandalorian or how a lot of the Star Trek shows are getting produced, but uh, even just the opportunities with um, with uh, like Unreal Engine, which is the uh, the free uh, software that that gets used, uh, uh, and sort of being able to work on compositing and VFX live even if you're not in front of those screens even if you're just doing green screen um there's opportunities that are coming there but there's also this other side that's happening with technology at the same time that i think is fairly controversial with artificial intelligence and um you know a lot of conversations happening about image generation or or text generation that's happening with ai chat gpt or uh jasper is one that i've seen as well um I'm curious if y'all have opinions on the potential opportunities with these uh, concerns that you may have about about either of them. Um, uh, I know there's a lot of conversation about concerns around AI, but even with virtual production. Um, 
like, have you been paying attention to any of what's been going on, any of these developments? Are you excited about any, any of it? Are you concerned about any of it? What are your thoughts? I just kind of put my head down and do do my thing. I'm not really excited a, about it. For me, it's like the first thing I thought of when you were asking that question was how 3D, when that first was becoming a thing, was like everyone started making 3D movies and now it's just James Cameron. To, you know, like it, it, I, I think people, a new technology comes out, people either get really excited about it or panic and are like, oh no, this is going to take over everything. And I think it still goes down to the storytelling. Like if you're not using the technology in a way that like really is immersive and is such a part of the film that you're making and, and really makes it work, then I don't think it's, I don't think it'll take. And I think we've seen that. Um, I think it has to still be, you have to still know what you're doing and make a really good movie. And I think I'm foc I'm just so focused on trying to get better and be a better storyteller that I also don't have access to those things. Like those aren't like, I'm not going to be able to, you know, uh, film anything like the Mandalorian in, in the next, uh, minute of my career. We don't know. We don't know. We don't know for sure. Um, but I, exciting things could happen. But we don't know. Um, it would be it'd be nice because that that would mean I'd probably get a nice paycheck. Um, but yeah, I think I think for me personally, I'm just I'm so focused on what I want to do, and I have so many ideas that the technology doesn't stress me out. And I think I just keep reminding myself of that. Like I don't think AI is gonna, you know, they can't even make a hand yet. They're at the, it adds like five. It's it's just you know it's a little bit behind. <laughs> so I'm not I'm not stressed about it. I, I guess I. I'm excited to see what other people do with it leading the charge, I guess. Yeah. No other thoughts? That's okay. I couldn't say it better than what yeah. Victoria said. I mean, I just think it comes down to the same thing that it always has, which is storytelling. You know, and that there's a buzz around new technology and that becomes sort of a story in and of itself. But the thing that outlasts that is people taking advantage of the new technology in creative ways to tell stories and people who don't. It's just the same as it sort of ever was. So and I think 3D is actually a really perfect analogy for AI. I was thinking about VR as well. <laughs> Everybody yeah. was really excited about uh, VR. Well, there was a moment pre-pandemic where a lot of film festivals, ours included, were you know expanding to include VR events and explore the technology. And you know, I was interested in it, remain interested in it, but um, you know, really it comes down to what people do with it. And then the pandemic derailed a lot of that on the program side for us and for other festivals. And so I just think it it's gonna come down to filmmakers making films like, you know. I'm a I'm a bit scared by it um when I hear um how you could kind of it's almost like you take the save the cat screenwriting techniques and you throw everything in a shaker and then you get a script and that's scary um but it's it, i'm i'm on victoria's side like i'm i'm so focused on what i'm doing i'm always keeping my ears open and i'm looking forward to see what others do with it i don't think that's too much my style my style of storytelling nor um super useful to the stories i want to make but um, I was um, 
I, it's funny because I had a Hollywood Reporter article about it open. It was one of my tab for like those past two months. And just thinking about reading it, I was like, I feel like throwing up. But I read it <laughs> because it was this morning. And um, it was interesting. Uh, it was very interesting. Uh, and I think it comes down to also making sure that screenwriters um, are the ones that um, frame the legality of it all and making sure that um, they, you know, that it doesn't um, just um, kill them all uh, and that the screenwriters are still part of the conversation. So it's, um, it's also funny, I was at a screening at the Metrograph and a producer and a filmmaker who were both teachers were having a conversation about, oh, so what conversations are you having at the school about it? For the students and how they're going to use that and i was like whoa you know that's a lot well i, th I think that's interesting i think that's really like what, you, what you're all saying is 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 very true is that like we're always being introduced to these new new technologies and there is always that response of like there's one half of people well maybe not even half but there's one group of people that's panicked about it it's going gonna, it's gonna to make it impossible for anybody to do anything. Everybody's going to lose their job. And then there's another group that's basically like, I'm going to try all of this. And I guess then there's the third group that's like, I'm busy. Uh, which feels like this is mostly this group. Uh, I'm busy. It seems, it seems interesting. I'm busy. Um, I think one of the things that's interesting about this, these spaces, and I have one of the reasons i wanted to, to bring this up with y'all because it's a conversation that comes up with with other filmmakers that, that i'm having and and i'm i'm very much for for a lot of it in the same sort of space where i'm like i'm interested i'm paying attention to this stuff uh partly because i am i'm an i'm an educator uh and you want to kind of keep an eye on these um i think one of the one of the things that i find interesting about it is um when these things pop up how it does end up affecting people and i think in film the ai side of things is a curiosity that people are looking at uh but we do see in some of the other spaces when it comes to writing that there are some people who who are losing their jobs because certain writing is being sort of replaced by like oh we'll, we'll use chat gpt or we'll use you know something else for this um which i think will end up blowing up in people's faces and i'm very entertained to see that happen the blowing up people's faces not people losing their jobs uh i want to see it blow up in people's faces because these people are losing their jobs um i think that um yeah i think that what's interesting about it is is that uh is the point about storytelling is that that's what matters fundamentally no matter what tools we're using um the stories are what matters whether we're a documentary about somebody uh, who's, you said, running 76 miles around McCarran Park. Yeah, I missed that event. She, during the pandemic, got bored and just ran 76 miles on the track. Just the yeah, same yeah, no, the loop track. for 76 miles. So I was like, wow, what is she doing next? In one go? In one go. Yeah, she was going for 100, but and she dropped out at 76 because it was like an 80 degree day. And yeah. Well, I'm less impressed. <laughs> yeah. She didn't do 100. <laughs> I, can, I, can, I can barely do two miles on the treadmill at the gym right now. <laughs> So, wow. Yeah, I was like, she's interesting. So let's, and she used to be a Vogue cover model. So her whole story is really fascinating. 
I'm yeah. looking forward to us being Finding able to see on this. Stool exhaust. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, no matter what it is, the stories that we're telling, uh, it is fundamentally about that storytelling, no matter what the tools are. Um, are there any, just to kind of follow on from that though, is are there any, and, and maybe the answer to this is no, but are there any tools that kind of became part of your toolbox in storytelling uh, in the last few years that maybe were surprising or uh, maybe unexpected? Uh, well, I guess that's the same thing, but un other people would find uh, unexpected or surprising. No. <laughs> yeah, no, it's like, uh, I'm like, yeah, maybe no. No, I'm not. Is the answer to that, I'm just. I, I think it's just, I think like maybe to talk about the that documentary I, I filmed, just experimenting with, all right, here's the idea. We're going to follow this team of runners running for two days. How do we do that? And then like experimenting with uh, our DP literally on a bike with a gimbal, biking, following them, like just creative low budget ways to just use tools i already have and to find the right people to um to film it and it's like for, for me it's project to project um what are the tools i need and how do i how can i pull it off with those tools but nothing new technology wise or anything i think it's just like you know it was nothing nothing fancy it's a dude on a bike with a gimbal but it looks good and uh you know, other for for my feature, we filmed in a hospital for a few days and we were we had the DP like getting pushed in a wheelchair to get like smooth shots down the hallway. So for me, it's less about what new technology and more about what do you have, especially for this conversation, indie filmmakers, like what do you have at your disposal? Um, what What is the vision? What is the story? I just keep going back to what is the story and what do you have at your disposal? that you can use to get the the film you want to get the tone and and the and the the shot really lately i've um used production design um a lot and discovering production designer that really were you know bringing their whole side to the story and i as a low budget filmmaker i you know i kind of like went over that the first movies just because oh my god yes 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 right? yes i can talk about this for a long time <laughs> i i just there's no money so um now i'm discovering that aspect and I'm, I'm absolutely loving it and seeing how it brings so much to the story i love it um and then the last short uh proof of concept i shot i starred in it i produced it it was a slasher and we used a snorri cam and that was hella fun. Um, so yeah, that's, those are the two things I can think about. Production design and kind of leveraging these, these, these tools that are out there and you're like, this is fun. It's different. I, I don't, I don't know what questions, I don't remember what questions I skimmed them quickly. And then I was like, I just want to go off the cuff, but to, I no, want to jump do. off of your production design thing. And, and like, cause I know this is a conversation around, you know, indie filmmaking and how do we, I think a huge lesson I learned, and what I completely agree, I didn't put enough money or attention or time into production design for my first film. And you can, I can tell, and it just, like, there are certain scenes where I'm like, ah, oh, I should have, like, put more time into that. And so I just filmed a short in November, and, like, I put so much into the production design, and I just got feedback from a friend who's like, oh, this looks great. And I'm like, you know why it looks great? Because I learned my lesson. 
And I think for anyone watching who um, is wondering, like, where do I put my time and effort? Like, really think about that. Um, it's worth it. It just makes like, you know, you can film on the fanciest camera, but if your production design's bad, it will just look worse. People, people won't know why it looks bad, but it will look worse. Um, so yeah, it's kind of not even, we're spiraling off of your question, but I wanted that to take that opportunity. Fine. No, uh, like, this should be conversational. Absolutely. I can absolutely co-sign that. <laughs> what you are both saying that, you know, for us, you know, we get a lot, we, we see a lot of films and being detail oriented is free. You know, if you're talking about making films cheaply, we can have a conversation about technology and the accessibility of technology and then advanced technology and the accessibility of that. But being detail oriented with something like production design, costume design, you know, it's one of the things that can really elevate a project that is made with very little money. And so it's, I'm really glad to hear you say that because it's an internal conversation that we have um, where if it's a beginning director, for example, it's a, a thing that is maybe a common thing, right? That being less detail-oriented about, um, particularly if people are leveling up from making shorts to making a feature, um, but having that 360 eye for each scene, it just makes what you're doing even if it's one location, two people talking heads, it's a relationship drama as, as you know, the scope of it as tightly controlled as possible, even within that world, attention to that level of detail elevates the storytelling and it's, it's free. It's free. My first short, I was um, shooting mostly exteriors. So I was, you know, really focused on putting, finding the best looking places in Harlem and the most colorful and at, you know, sunset time. But I, I was really not focused on that part. And the minute that we went in on something, I was like, I would have needed someone. <laughs> um, so it was just wonderful to find, to fill in that role with somebody that was so good at it, because that's, I don't, I feel like it's not the first incline as a first time or second time director and uh, coming from acting, I'm like, oh, costumes, I'm good. We need makeup. But production design, it really changes the game. And just to, I, and I think probably people already picked this up, but I did just want to make sure to clarify that when we're talking about production design, we're talking about the set, we're talking about props, we're talking about things that people may be handling, but also just things that are in the background. We're talking about the things on the wall. We don't want to see blank walls or that sort of thing. Uh, just one. I think you guys made it pretty clear, but I was also have just you dressed sure. the person, the character, for the job that they actually have or the life that you're <laughs> that you're that you have on the script. This person is a this. Do they look like one of those? And if they don't, then is there a reason why? Because if there isn't a reason why that you're explaining to us, it just feels off. Like this person just seemed like they wandered into this scene. They're not really in this scene, you know. It's uh, like, a, that's what I mean by detail-oriented. Yeah. Absolutely. I think, yeah, I think that's a, that's a great insight for and very helpful for folks out there is, is that, yeah, if, uh, if you're putting something together and we are, as you're saying, we're talking about low budget, uh, one of the places that you can put, or we, you can inexpensively, like, put your time and energy as uh, dollar stores are amazing for that sort of thing. 
And even though it's not all, it doesn't quite cost a dollar anymore, it's still those dollar uh, dollar stores can be can be amazing for for different bits and pieces uh, to fill out space and give a give a sense of give a sense of place and give a sense of character. Uh, so. And and again, to touch on what you were saying before, what you were all saying before is like that's storytelling, you know. That's not. Uh, I mean, it's production. It's that. It's somewhat technical, but fundamentally, as you were pointing out just now, Joe, it's about the character. It's about the space, and it's about defining that space. A uh, story goes beyond dialogue. Story goes beyond like what is physically happening in the plot like the sort of things that if i was writing a book i would probably describe what a space looked like well and when we're making a film we want to show like uh, a sense of it even if you're only getting a sliver of a space i want to i want to ask you guys about the future i think there's already been some discussion about potential about the challenges that are coming up particularly as relates to covid but i'm very curious about if you see on the horizon short term long term what kind of opportunities do you think are uh that you're seeing or that uh or even if you're not seeing what kind of opportunities are you hoping for coming coming down the the pipe in the next few years i think to answer that question everyone has to think about like what kind of uh filmmaker filmmaking career do you want to have um do you want to have complete freedom and be able to make whatever you want to make, then I think that's a question of uh, sustainability. How do you keep making films um, when maybe you're not getting funding from, you know, a studio or a production company or just doing your thing and not, not asking permission versus wanting to build and get to a place where you need to, to, bust through some doors to get people to give you money. I think, I think for me, it's, it's answer to, to answer that question. Everyone needs to figure out, all right, what's, what's my ideal? Am I, am I cool making films this way? Or do I want, do I want to direct a Marvel movie one day? Do I want to like, what kind of a filmmaker are you? So I think, for me, I personally, to just give an example, I want to build, I don't want to do like a Marvel movie or anything, but I want to build and um, my next film is uh, budgeted uh, a couple million. So I'm trying to build to a place of getting money from a studio. Right now we're waiting on financiers to say yes. That involved a lot of rewrites. That involved people giving me notes. That involved me, you know, but I'm lucky because I actually think that their notes are great and trust these people. But um, it, it hasn't, little echo, I hear me. Um, but it hasn't always been, um, you know, I, there were other people, money people that gave me feedback and I didn't agree with it. And it's that question of, okay, am I just going to go with this to try and get the money? And I don't want to, and I don't want to do that. So I think, I think it's thinking about, all right, where are you, are you going to make concessions? What kind of career do you want to have? How do you, I think the, the, the follow-up question that I would ask that everyone needs to ask themselves is how do you, based on what you want to do, how can you figure out how to make it sustainable? 
And I think it's difficult no matter no matter what, because I've been waiting years to make this second feature. Um, but if I kept making other films, it's figure like other features in the in-between years, it would still be difficult because I would be trying to figure out, all right, how do I keep getting money on my own after calling in every single favor I've ever had? Um, for my shorts, I've done work trades and I've put my own money into my shorts. Um, and I'm willing to take big risks, uh, frankly, financially and career uh, life wise of like I have roommates. I am not like living in some palace. I know what makes me happy and what makes me happy is making making things. Um, that's a very long answer and maybe confusing. But I think I think the starting place is figuring out like what kind of what kind of filmmaker are you um, and what kind of filmmaker do you want to be? So. That's that's my rant. <laughs> it's a good one. It's a good one. I don't know that Victoria hasn't said it all. Honestly, it's uh, it's about making your life and your work sustainable. Um, and so, not only do you need to answer that question, those questions: what kind of filmmaker am I? Uh, what kind of work do I want to keep doing? Um, and but also, where am I at? <laughs> Um, and so depending on those answers, then you move a direction or another, I would highly recommend to try to build as much community as you can. I've had just filmmakers, producers, actors, screenwriters supporting me and my work. And on an everyday basis, it's just, it becomes so important that you get a sort of validation by your peers because you don't want to wait for that validation from the golden statue or whatever. You need it, you know, to sustain your stamina and your spirit. And I feel that those are communities where you're going to be able to make connections that keep you on moving forward. And I think the idea of movement is very important as a filmmaker as well. And that's why I personally felt so stuck like the whole planet during the pandemic, because those connections in those festivals, moving, going to places, trying to also be an interesting, interesting filmmaker, going to art galleries and just feeding your soul, that's very important. But you need the resources to be able to do all of that. So sometimes you're, you know, Resources can come from, you never know where it's going to come from. Um, financier, private equity, friends, you never know. But if you're not out there and keep moving and keep uh, communicating, then you never find out. Absolutely, that makes sense. Uh, and you don't have to necessarily add anything if you don't have any, but I just wanted to give you one, an opportunity to... I think that those are really great answers. And I mean, I can say from our point of view, running a festival that the festival alumni, the people who've come through our festival, who've gone on to have really successful careers, all different from one another, but uh, on their own terms, it, I think, came from, the, they started from that base of self-knowledge. Right. That um, I think it's easy, maybe because the technology to make a film is so accessible now, to kind of stumble into it and feel your way through it in an organic way, which is great. You know, I don't ever want to tell anyone not to do that. 
you know, um, an artist myself or an artist run festival. I don't want to put those limitations on people, but the thing that makes filmmaking different than other art forms is that really no matter what level you're doing it at, you're interacting with a market. And so trying to negotiate your creative process, making the thing, and then how that thing lives within a market, that's the journey of a professional filmmaker. And, you know, people interact with that in different ways, depending on what they want. But I think that, again, I couldn't say it better than Victoria did, like, know yourself. What do I want out of this? What am I doing? And then work from there. Um, we'll say that uh, we'll, we'll start wrapping up here with, um, with our guests again. Uh, for anybody who joined late and didn't want to uh, check, we've got Jacques Aswari, we've got Victoria Negri, we've got Joseph Shahadi um, uh, here with us. And uh, just to kind of do a typical wrap up for a, a panel, uh, what are you working on? What's coming up next for you? Uh, what should people be looking out for for you in the in in the future, short term or or long term, whichever? I just uh, I'm doing post production on two shorts. They're proof of concept. One is a slasher uh, titled "Cut Me If You Can." It's two black characters that realize that they are characters of a very bad B movie, and they decide to rebel against the script. So that's an Instagram page that you can follow. And then the second one is called Reunion. And it is uh, the story of an African immigrant who's reinvented herself in New York and finds out that the boy soldier, child soldier, who decimated her family years ago, lives also in New York as a best-selling author. So that's also an uh, Instagram page that you can follow and you can follow me. And... Uh, Hopefully this year, I'm going to shoot the first 10 pages of my pilot script um, that just won a screenwriting grant. So that gave me the little a push that I needed to go ahead and raise more money for it. And uh, hopefully that's in the spring. Oh, that sounds great. Um, I'm also in post on two shorts. Um, one is the doc I was talking about with the uh, female runner, Lucy. Uh, following her running uh, a two-day running event uh, while we get to know her. It's like a character study of Lucy. And then the second one is, and it's funny because I was thinking about this right before talking about what I have coming up and kind of like wrapping up our conversation. The second, the second short came about because I got lunch with an actress who's going to uh, have a supporting role in my feature and I was just talking about ideas I have. And she's like, let's make a short. Let's just do it. And I was like, yes. And we just committed to making something together. We co-wrote it. I directed it. She acts in it. Um, but you find your people. And when you both say yes to something and you just pick a weekend. And it was like, oh, no, we're doing a short in two months from now. So that one um, was a great experience to work with her. Um, her name's Alexi Papas. She's a, an Olympic runner. Um, but in the short, she um, wakes up transformed into a mermaid. Mm -hmm. And it's like a buddy comedy about how this transformation reconnects her with a, mm -hmm. a damaged friendship. Um, and then I'm hoping to shoot my feature this year called Ultra, about a woman who runs 135 miles across Death Valley and uh, comes face to face with a traumatic event from her past while running. 
Uh, so just literally waiting on the green light from that. And you can follow me. And as soon as I know when that's happening, the world will know. And I can't wait to make announcements. We already have it cast, but I'm not going to say who's in it. Um, but it's very exciting and can't wait to make it and suffer in Death Valley with everyone. <laughs> yeah. Best of, best of luck with that. Yeah, I, I hate the heat. I don't yeah. know what I'm doing to myself, but. And, and, and Joe, I mean, you've got the, the festival coming up soon. Yeah. Um, submissions are open for the Art of Brooklyn Film Festival. So um, submit your films to us. Um, the festival, we haven't announced official dates yet because we're still nailing down venues, but it will be the first two weeks in June of this year. It's our lucky 13th season. Um, and actually, I can announce a thing. I'm not going to say their names because the press release is going out tomorrow, but a, a signature program of the Art of Brooklyn Film Festival is that we um, invite a different filmmaker to act as guest festival director every season. And we do that very intentionally to keep um, a single point of view from dominating our curation. So it rotates. Um, we have a really good track record. Um, I think 66% of the time when I did the math last, it was um, uh, women, uh, LGBTQIA, and people of color holding the position. Um, but if you just drill down to gender, it's only so far been two women, one of whom is Victoria Negri. Uh, the other, Christy Conachala, uh, an LA-based filmmaker we love very much. Hello, Christy. Um, so I thought, um, you know, we've been involved in the conversation about women filmmakers uh, since 2014, um, working with various organizations, New York Women Film and Television, uh, Alliance of Women Directors. And one of the upshots of these panels has always been just about getting to gender parity. It's a low bar, you would think. And I thought, since this is a signature program of our festival, it's not acceptable that we've only ever had two women do it. And so I assembled a short list of um, female and non-binary filmmakers. And the, what I want to announce is that this year, it's going to be a group that are going to act as guest festival directors, a uh, woman filmmaker curating documentary features and shorts for us, a woman filmmaker document, uh, curating narrative shorts, and a filmmaking team, a woman and non-binary filmmaking team um, curating narrative features. And so that will get us past um, gender equity. Any one of those filmmakers could have done the job singly. I feel really privileged that they agreed to work in tandem, and it's been a pleasure working with them so far. So I'm really um, I'm thrilled about it. The press release will go out tomorrow and you'll hear all the details about it. But if that appeals to you, then submit your film to us. Yeah, it's a, it's a great process working with, uh, with y'all at the Art of Brooklyn. And you would know since you were also a guest festival director so. with us. And, and also saying, you'll see how the sausage is made. And, <laughs> it, and you did. It's, didn't no, you? it's great. It was great to see. It was, it was, it was fun. Yeah, uh, being being uh, I'm Sean's film. <laughs> it's true. Yeah. It's true. Uh, it's, uh, so, in other words, the the chronology was your feature um, opened the festival yeah. and your year, and it won best narrative feature. The following year, you were our guest festival director. You programmed Sean's film. Sean's film memed it very well. You were also an award winner at the festival, and then the following year, you became 
a guest festival director. I feel so left out. <laughs> well, there's still time to submit. There's still time to submit. Uh, I'm just meeting you now. It's really nice to meet you. So nice to meet you too. And I mean, and I think that's also just hammering that uh, that point home about networking and making connections and building community. Because then, then I get to go like, hey, I'm putting together a filmmaking panel. <laughs> Who am I going to pick? Who am I going to go for? I'm gonna, let, let me start with a couple of people that I know pretty well that I know that that I know will bring some some gems in, and then I get to meet Jaka. Uh, this week, who's uh, who's part of our MNN, larger MNN community, um, and part of our larger uh, New York City Center for Media Education community. And uh, again, thank you all for joining us. You have a great night. From the New York City Center for Media Education, this has been CME Presents, available wherever you get your podcasts. Music is by Jacob Backer, William Hutchison, and Sean Sparacino. If you like what you hear, please rate, subscribe, and review. And don't forget to check out our website at nyccenterformediaeducation.org for more information about media making and filmmaking classes.